Joining me on the WISE podcast today in London is Vinny Ravel from The Speech Coach. Hi, Vinny. Hi. Lovely to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Amazing um, reading a little bit about your past before you became the speech coach. Mm. You were raised in an environment that was very aggressive, where there was violence. And, you know, the communication that you were taught growing up was very challenging, right? It wasn't the best role model or example for you. And mm. that led you to exhibit violent kind of tendencies in your behavior when you were younger. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a bit about that. So it's quite a stereotypical kind of outcome of having a, a violent upbringing. It was tough at home. My, my dad drank a lot. And um, as a consequence of that, he was not the most patient of people. So when, I'm a, when you're a kid doing what kids do, um, his fuse was quite short. And that meant that, you know, you didn't listen the first time. Next time he would have to use some form of physical sense of making sure that you maintained some form of discipline. And the hand became a belt, became a rolling pin, became a monkey wrench, became a hammer, and anything else he could get his hand on. And this basically meant that when I went to school, I had to find an outlet for it, and I started playing up, and so I became a bit violent. Well, I became quite violent at school. Right, and that's a very natural tendency, isn't it? That mm. what you, you know, if you're, you are raised in a home where there is dysfunction, you often just, you, within the home, you don't demonstrate that behavior, but when you go outside, that's where it comes out. And often within the school, what school, which is what schools and teachers don't pick up on. No, they didn't. I, my, my reports were just terrible. Yeah. Uh, violence speaks out of turn, yeah. always looking for attention, so on and so forth. I, I was fortunate. I did forge some really, really good friendships Yeah. that I still have. But yeah. I went through a case where I guess I was bullied at home, so I became the bully at school. Yeah. Replicating the behavior. Mm, so that wasn't. But yeah. I've read also, and you know, like many stories and cases that I've read, um, you know, where individuals have come from challenging backgrounds, often it's that one role model, that one person, often within the school sometimes, who can believe in you or see potential in you or yeah. guide you. That can be transformative. And that's what happened to yourself. Yeah. You had a teacher who directed your energy, which was demonstrated through aggression into drama yeah. and, and the arts. Absolutely. And that was your transform that's transformation. Yep. So I went to, uh, it's now called Harrow High School. I went to Gayton High School before it changed its name. And uh, the teacher's name was Mrs. Wilhelmina Smallman. Absolutely brilliant individual. I, my mum knows, she, I call her my second mum, or I called her my second mum. And she was responsible for making sure I didn't go to prison or I didn't end up dead. And she channeled all the energy that I had through the performing arts. How did she do that? What did she, because a lot of teachers, when there are rebellious students, they mm. don't care, they'll overlook it. What was it that made her focus on you and think, actually, let me redirect this, this child into a more positive direction? Many teachers won't do that. I think it's possible that she, she saw potential. I wasn't, uh, academically, I was quite bright, I like to believe. And she saw that I was just, channeling my energy in a way that it, it wasn't going to be anything positive. There was going to be no positive outcome. How she did that, she stripped me down. She spoke to me in a way that I understood. She, what did she, she say? She broke me down completely. She actually, <laughs> the technique she used, she made the entire class shun me for two weeks. Okay. How so did that happen? No one, because I said something out of turn, I took the mick out of the way someone was dressed. Right. 
So I, what I would do is I would look at how people were different and then exploit them for my own fun, if you like. Got it. Because that's how a bully makes friends, right? We, yeah. we take the mick, we take the, excuse my French, we take the piss out of people. Yeah. And we garner relationships with other people. And she saw that happening. And she, you know, quite blatantly in front of the whole class, gave me a dressing down. And for two weeks, no one was allowed to speak to me. I couldn't participate in any games or, or physical education, any kind of teamwork, anything that required teamwork. In classes, she had spoken to all the teachers and I was isolated and I had to keep to myself and I couldn't mix with anyone. And usually it's that aha moment that occurs yep. within a person before transformation strikes. That's right. What happened? What was your aha moment during those two weeks? I felt, I felt alone. I felt like I didn't have anyone on my side. I was alone enough at home. And I came to school and I, I found that if, essentially it was, I came to the conclusion that if this behavior continued, this is how I was going to end up. I was only, what, 13, 14? And it was a big eureka moment. And I think I went from being being the guy that was probably on his way to slopping out to being a model pupil, whereby there was a time where during breaks and lunch times and extended breaks, you weren't allowed inside the school building. I was the only one in allowed inside the school building. Teachers saying hello to me and everyone being very gracious. And I found that there was a new way to gain respect and it wasn't through demanding it. It was through commanding it through your own behavior. And I made fantastic friendships. I entered the, um, the world of performing arts and she took her time to train. She herself had been trained at the Central School of Speech and Drama. And she took her time to really build my character, really made me question what it was that I was doing, who it was that I wanted to become why it was that I was saying certain things and behaving in a certain way. So she was and, very forward uh, thinking as a teacher of that time. Absolutely. And it wasn't just me. She did the same for hundreds, if not thousands of other pupils. A very good friend of mine, I don't know, 46, if you can say you've got a best friend, but I've got a best friend and uh, did the same for him. And she's remembered. She is, there's a lot of people that hold her quite dear to her, to their hearts for doing exactly that. I was very lucky. So you went into the performing arts, but obviously your parents wanted you to, being Asian parents, <sighs> yeah. had uh, aspirations for you to go into medicine. You didn't want to, you weren't medically inclined. No, so. no, I didn't give a damn about people's bunions. So. <laughs> um, and that was, it, that, that, that took some arguments. And, and I then realized that I wasn't going to win the argument. And so I just nodded my head and said, yes, I'll do the physics and the chemistry and the biology. When in realism, I didn't really care. And I was out trying to make independent films, and learning about film production, like what's a dolly grip and who's the gaffer and what's a clapper loader and how do you, you know, how do you set up a scene to make sure it's correct for continuity and so on and so forth. And in doing so, I had a great time, uh, but I failed my A-levels. Right. Twice. Right. 
And But despite your journey and despite the obstacles along the way, you decided that communications was your passion. Mm -hmm. You wanted to go into communications and you had three incidents that happened with your family members and um, with uncles and your grandfather, mm. where which seemed to have just happened, um, you know, or meant to happen because that's where you learned the art of speech therapy and training people to be able to use their their vocals and their vocal cords and body parts in a way that um, was healing, would help them heal and then utilize them effectively. Well, kind of what happened, I got to the point where I was, I was, I was getting old or older and I didn't really have a direction. Mm -hmm. I finally got my A-levels under my belt and that was good, but I needed to find a direction. Acting was not going to work. It was, we're going back, what, 30 years? Yeah. And um, we just, there wasn't the, the prominence of Asian actors in film and television just wasn't what it no. is now. And so I had to find something and I had to find a vocation because, you know, we, we grew up pretty poor mm. and my father wanted me to have a vocation so that I wouldn't have the issues he had mm -hmm. in terms of finding work and making money. And so I, I thought about what it was that I was interested in. Now, my uncle's deaf. He's been deaf since birth and I've been signing since I was nine years old. No one taught me. I just looked into a book, found out how to do BSL fingerspelling and then showed it to him and poof, my whole world opened up. He introduced me to the deaf community, would go out and meet loads of different people from the deaf community. And I'd be able to communicate with them and break down barriers between them and other people who couldn't sign. My dad's brother had a total mandibulectomy, so his entire jaw was removed. And three, yeah, two thirds of his tongue were removed because of cancer. Uh, when I went to California when I was 16, I ended up intuitively working with him on how he could improve his speech patterns. Later on down the line, my grandfather from my mum's side had a laryngectomy, so his larynx was taken out, also due to cancer. And I worked with him more so on his cycle, more on his psyche and on his nonverbal communication and how he could improve that. He was a man who could speak seven different languages, eight different dialects from Africa. So with his communication being taken away, with his larynx being taken out, he went from the man who was the life of the party to someone who was the shadow of his former self. And we worked together, and I like to think that I supported him in doing the best he could when it came to communicating. And so I thought, I'm already involved. Speech and language therapy sound like, sounded like a good fit. So off I went, City University. And so you've studied, um, you've, you went into the communication sector and now you've set up your own business as a speech coach. You cover a yep. lot of areas. What are you finding? I mean, I'm in the communication sector myself mm -hmm. as a coach. What are you finding um, yourself are the most in-demand areas in our current times? Because communication is a very popular area now. It's one of the mm -hmm. most popular areas in the coaching sector. What kind of areas do you feel that you have the greatest demand for? Confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And that's everyone. I've, I've had CEOs of multi-billion dollar organizations to people just starting work or wanting to go for interviews. Yes. Confidence. The confidence to say what they want to say, how they want to say it. Yeah. In a clear, concise fashion. So confidence is, uh, yeah, everyone, a lot of people in today's society are becoming aware of the absolute um, importance of confidence and how transformative it can be in your personal life, in your professional life, um, in every area of your life. Mm. I believe, I've always found that it's not just, I mean, obviously it's uh, about your beliefs, but it's also about your behavior. And working on both is often the most effective way to develop your confidence. Mm -hmm. What's your approach? 
My approach is, in terms of having confidence, the people that I work with generally seem to have not too much confidence. So it's, it's not a question of tapering them down. It's a question of building them back up. Yeah. And so nine out of ten times, they've always done something which was more complex, more accomplished than going to an interview or presenting to a hundred people. And so we look at what it is that they've accomplished in their lives that they can be proud of. Mm-hmm. And once they can take stock of that, once they can have tangible evidence of the fact that they've done something that is actually quite huge, quite significant, mm-hmm. then being able to map that across into doing a presentation or pitching or even conversing to people within their own office space becomes quite easy for them to do. But it's that realization that actually they they're not starting with a glass with a, with an empty glass. They've actually come to the table with something. Yes. And it's building that. They've got other skill sets. Yeah. It's also important to realize that confidence by itself isn't enough. You need to have a skill set. Yeah. We all know politicians that have got too much confidence. Yeah. And not enough skill set when it comes to communication. Mhm. And at the same time, we have people who've got great skill sets. On a one-to-one, they're fantastic. But they don't have the confidence when it comes to broadcasting, Mm -hmm. whether it be a group of 10, 20, 1,000, 2,000. I've got a client who I coached for 70 people who's now going over to spread the word in front of 70,000 people. And essentially, the game plan's still the same. I often find that with regards to confidence, often changing your behavior in itself Mm -hmm can reinforce and build confidence because when you are working on your behavior the world reflects back to you in a better way if you are going out there with perhaps let's say a more friendly approach a better way of speaking Mm -hmm. better body language you naturally have an impact on other people and they respond to you with greater positivity which then builds your confidence internally at the same time. Do you mm. find that, do you, have, do you often find that that works with your clients? Yes, um, it's, ironically, it's going back to one of the things my father used to tell me when I was a kid. So when I was young, I used to start street talk, trash talk all the time. People didn't understand what I was saying. And he told me, I can't remember if it was before or after a slap, but he did tell me, if you don't learn to speak properly, you'll get nowhere in life. Yeah. And so one of the things, and I think you're absolutely right, some of the things that I work on is make sure that your body language marries to what it is that you wish to say. If you want to be assertive, you've got to stand in an assertive manner. If you want to negotiate, you've got to stand in a bit more of a vulnerable, vulnerable position. Your speech has to be clear. The words and the language that you're using has to be accessible and dependent on the audience and the context. If you're meeting a bunch of gangsters doing some gangster stuff down the street, then speaking to them in the Queen's English is probably not the best way to get a communication going with them. So you've got to be appropriate. Adaptable. And you've got to adapt, absolutely. I often find that some people who lack the greatest confidence, it is because they have the most limiting beliefs within them about... Mm being confident, having negative repercussions from them, which generally stems from bad experiences. I mean, often I find it, it the, the reasons people have that lack of confidence isn't unrealistic. It's because of the experiences they've had since childhood that have mm. then been reinforced when they've gone out there into the wider world. And until they start to understand and realize and become conscious of the fact that um, that isn't necessarily, you know, their way of thinking and, and what's happened to them in the past isn't actually reflective of what is out there in the wider world if you change your behavior. You know, that is sometimes the aha moment for them, mm-hmm. I find. What, what do you think? 
I can't say I've come across that personally. <laughs> it does happen, though. You know, I, I read or I do know of, of people who... In the sense, let me just explain that, in the mm. sense that if somebody's very passive um, and, and doesn't speak up, it's often because they've been raised in an environment where speaking up was never rewarded, it was never, never really acknowledged. Mm-hmm. And they perceive, and, and that, that what they've experienced in their home, they think that is what the world is like. You usually mm-hmm. model the external world on what has happened to you at home. Sure. So you go out into the world thinking you're going to get the same feedback that you had within the home. Mm-hmm. And it's with, with, with clients that I work with, it's often showing them that actually that's wrong thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happened in your home was a dysfunction. Mm-hmm. The outside world actually will respect you more mm-hmm. if you can speak up, if you can express yourself, mm-hmm. if you do use your voice. Mm-hmm. It's breaking that conditioning that they've had. Yes. Absolutely. So breaking down that, it's it's a false model that they have, but it's a model nonetheless, and it's the only map that they've got. It's the the only, um, you know, this this is the action and this is the reaction. Yeah. Uh, And no, absolutely, quite a lot of my clients have come from a background whereby children should be seen and not heard. It's very common. And if they did say something, it was very quickly shut down. Yes. And so you build up the confidence in their in themselves. Okay, that happened then. Tell me something that you've accomplished. Yes. Anything. Can you yes. swim? Can you ride a bike? Did you have to overcome yeah. a period of learning? Did you have to go through a process of learning in order to be good at something? Anything. Anything yeah. at all. And once we can establish that, once they see the idea of actually, yes, if I practice this and if I use my communication in an appropriate manner, this is the response I will get. Yeah. And there are fantastic models that you can point, that we can point them in the direction of. Yes. Look what happens when a person speaks with assertiveness in a clear, concise manner, yeah. in a manner that engages and influences. Yeah. And then you backtrack, well, how do they do that? Mm. Well, let's practice speech patterns. How do you practice speech patterns? Tongue twisters mm. are a good idea. Monotony in voice, how do you remove the monotonous? Sorry, the monotony or the monotone characteristics in a voice. Read poetry. That's one that people aren't really ready for, no. actually, when it comes to poetry. Poetry is a fantastic vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. Breaking the myth that mm-hmm. some clients have that actually this is the way it's going to be, this is the way it's always going to be. And I find it incredible that this is, you know, for so many generations and for so many centuries, people haven't realised that, you know, Things can change so much and communication can even change mm-hmm. so dramatically. But we're in, a, in an age where there's so much more awareness, so much more consciousness that people really can, just through using their mindset, transform themselves and their lives, transform their communication, transform their confidence. But, but like any habit, it's, um, it's a process. Yeah. Uh, it's about first being conscious, mm-hmm. establishing new habits, mm-hmm. practicing those habits, mm-hmm. being bold and com- you know, being bold to actually keep it going and being consistent and that's when the transformation I call that recalibration pressure testing revising recalibration pressure pressure testing revising yes and that's the formula you use with your clients absolutely what kind of results do you see and what's what would you say is um, some of the proudest moments you've had with clients whose confidence proudest (laughs) moments gosh okay Um, I like to go to two extremes so on one hand, um, I have people that are very, and I'm, I've signed DNAs with everyone, so I can't talk too much about them. Yeah. But we've had members in in the world of fintech trying to bring a product to the market in front of some very important players who have been 
quite shy and quite introverted in terms of how they get their message across. I've worked with them and their product has been accepted and off they go. On the other hand, I've had um, a dog handler from HMS Prisons up north who couldn't, <laughs> his dog wouldn't listen to him because he wasn't using the appropriate pitch and tone. Wow. Worked with him and he was able to, his dog eventually listened to him. Um, but they're vast and varied. People giving presentations for the first time, people giving wedding speeches. Mm, I had a gentleman well. call me up and say that he had a stammer. And because of his stammer, he didn't want to um, didn't want to give a speech at his own wedding. But his daughter, who was only 11 at the time, he wanted to make sure he was ready to give her away when she became old enough, and he wanted to start now. I said, okay. Well, long story short, he was actually getting married in three months. We worked on his wedding speech. He had the confidence to get up on stage, and he nailed it. He called me to say, um, he, he was quite quite funny. He called me up and said, um, by the way, he got, I said, how did you do? And he said, oh, no, I, I stacked it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I said, all right, well, don't worry. Why are you calling me on your wedding day? And he said, no, I'm joking, man. I smashed it. Amazing. And it's those moments. I'm working with, you know, I enjoy working with an entire spectrum of people, people who've found it really difficult to get up and actually share their thoughts with others. Mm. I, th I find it fantastic being able to be part of the journey in order to give them the voice to be able to say whatever they want. You're obviously a great communicator yourself, very confident, you. conversational. Gosh. Don't tell my wife that. My wife would disagree. <laughs> That's a different kind of setup, right? <laughs> but in the world. Um, what would you say are the things that make a great communicator? I've know got my theory. Mm -hmm. I, and what's yours? Know your audience. Right. Know your audience. Be clear. Mm -hmm. um, speak in a way to engage people. You know, um, have a sing-song melody about your voice. Yeah. Um, speak at a decent pace. Yeah. You find all these people who sometimes speak so fast because they've got so much to say and, you know, they feel like they're running out of time and so one word blurs into another word, blurs into another one. Before you know it, you've said so much mm. and time's run up. But it, it is important to sometimes take your time. Mm -hmm. It increases the drama of a situation and a bit, can help a actually. Theater, isn't it? A bit of theatre and it helps you get your message across. Mm -hmm. And are there any tools and techniques that you use with your clients that you apply to yourself or that you have applied to yourself to transform and change the way that you interact and engage? Well, I certainly did so today because I woke up and found I was losing my voice. So <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> I did a lot of humming at a very low tone, so <laughs> something like this, in order to try and get more body back into my voice. But well, if I'm giving a presentation, one thing I do is I listen to, well, I listen to a lot of hip-hop and rap music. I like the way that... The, the artists are able to, known as spitting bars, or I enjoy how lyrical they are. Um, right. And that gets, seems to get my brain into the zone. My daughter's been listening to hip hop and she presented me with a playlist. And uh, it made me think, actually, she shouldn't be listening to, <laughs> to music with parental advisory lyrics. Mm -hmm. Poetry. Yeah. Recite poetry. Do so. Pick a poem. It doesn't need to be... You know, something by Shakespeare or by Edward Thomas. Pick up something by Roald Dahl. Pick up something by Spike Milligan and recite it. And recite it with meaning. Um, and if you, passion. If, and, and passion. 
get the back of a cereal box and read out the ingredients in a way that kind of engages other people. Yeah, and then that starts, and the more you do that, then you start to bring that into your conversations. Absolutely. It's always good to start at home and mm. then take that into the broader broader world. And if you can do that, if you can do it with something like a, a cereal box, you know, I, I can't yeah. remember, you know, what they say, but fortified with multivitamins and iron. If you can say that yeah. about a cereal box, yeah. then when you're speaking about something that you're really passionate about, it's going to happen. It's going to map across quite well. So what's next for the speech coach? Gosh, what's You've next? You've been so busy with so many different things. Um, I've started working weekends again. That's how busy oh, it wow. is. Um, so um, a lot of my clients have asked me, where's your YouTube channel? So I'm, I've got to start working on material for my YouTube channel. Yeah. And that, I think, is the next big thing for me. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to be putting on your YouTube channel? We're going to be doing some podcasts where I'll be interviewing some of my clients and some people that I consider to be fantastic communicators. I have a cousin who's an ear, nose and throat surgeon whose manner of explaining detail I find to be extremely clear and concise and accessible. Uh, I have another very good friend who's a spinal surgeon who does the same. I'd like to get these people in. So good models of communication, if you like. Sounds Bring them exciting. In. And it's um, really based at home as well. It is based at home in the studio at the back of my house. Yeah. At the same time, um, I'm going to be recording so, like a series of sessions that people who don't wish to have one-to-one communication and wish to uh, prefer to buy a pre-recorded series, that's something I'm going to complete doing mm-hmm. so that they have that available to them. And just one more thing before sure. we um, come to a close. Um, communication is really rapidly evolving in our current times, I feel. Um, mm. There's so much more focus on good communication and society's less accepting of um, disrespectful communication. Yep. What do you see? Um, where do you see communication going um, in the future? That's a very, very good question. I think people are going to be more accepting of different accents and the manner yeah. in which people speak. I think yeah. the stereotype regarding class, demographic, yeah. um, and where people are based geographically. It's dissolving, isn't it? it and it should Prejudice do. is Pre- dissolving. Absolutely. Equality is emerging. Mm-hmm. Acceptability and acceptance of all people. Yeah, it's, comp- I'm, it's a massive transformation that's taking place. Something that's very important. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take a while because yeah. I'm a perfect example of how this voice and this face don't go together. You should see the reactions when people turn up to my studio. So they'll press the bell and I'll open the door and I've had people back up and walk out. I don't look that scary. And I've said, for example, I've said, John, and they've said, Vinny. I said, yeah, that, that's me. This is the face, guys. Come on in. And it happens. Um, uh. but, but, but we've been, it's been happening for years. These, But that's because the name Vinny perhaps doesn't, they're not expecting someone who's Asian. They're not expecting someone, yeah, absolutely, Asian, bearded, presents like this, um, because they normally speak to me on the phone. So and prejudice exists, and sometimes it's positive, and sometimes it's negative. I've had fantastic um, interactions with people. Um, I've had a couple, even on Zoom, where they've turned up, and they've seen me, and they've not been interested. Really? And that was pure... That's shocking. Pure racism. I'm, I find sure. that shocking. I had to actually tell them about themselves. I wrote to them in an email and I said, look, this is what happened. I want to make you aware of it so that you don't make the same mistake with someone else. 
It's inappropriate. Very patient, polite, <laughs> amazing communication <laughs> to have with some. Oh, wow. Yeah, sometimes we don't realize how prevalent um, racism still is mm. in our current times. But and it was all done subconsciously. But from the moment they saw me, because they heard my voice first mm. before I turned on my camera. And they Maybe. were they were great. And I turned on the camera yeah. and I was dressed appropriately. They saw my face and just like that. Maybe from Vinny to Vinod. <laughs> I just don't think Vinod sells as well as Vinny does. <laughs> my mother hates this name, by the way. I've been Vinny ever since I went to university. Um, yeah. but And that was because my phonetics tutor couldn't pronounce my real name. Right. So Vinny came about and my mum has reprimanded me for it ever since. What would you like to see happening with communication going forward? Anything you'd like to see happening? Any changes you'd like to see in society, in um, working, you know, working environments, in people's personal relationships mm. when it comes to communication is key. It is everything. I'd like to see a lot more people who are coming out of education uh, and wanting to go into straight into the workforce, maybe not going into university. I'd like to see a lot of the um, younger members of society practicing how to communicate so that they're taken seriously when they enter the workforce. I think yeah. when they, what I'm seeing a lot of is people go in to try and people attempt to enter a workforce with the same kind of street slang that they use when they're with their friends. And when they go into a workforce, they need to be able to speak in a particular way because that's the manner in which communication is in that workforce and it breeds stability and confidence. Mm -hmm. But what a lot of people believe is they're becoming someone else and they're not. You've got to be able to code switch. This is not the way that I speak when I'm at home with my wife. This is not the way that I speak when I'm with my daughter. I don't speak like this when I'm with my friends. Yeah. Damn it, I swear like a demon when I'm with my friends. But I'm a different, I'm, I'm still the same person. Yeah. But I'm trying to elicit different communication from the different people that I'm speaking to. What do to. you see young people should be doing when they're going into the workforce? And how should they be communicating? What do you think is the right way of communicating in the workforce? Doesn't it, doesn't it depend on the environment, on that particular company? It does, it, it does. Because we do have a lot of companies who have that kind of more casual approach. Well, casual is one thing. But mind your P's and Q's. Mm. Dot your I's and cross your T's. Mm -hmm. Know that if you need to get across a complex uh, aspect of what it is that you're saying, then words like, you get me fam, are really not going to get you far. Mm. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's just the way it is. Mm. You can't imagine people talking like that if they went to work for a management consultancy firm. Yeah. You can't imagine that even in the NHS, if you took you know, a, yeah. a government establishment. Well, that um, is how people are perceiving you, isn't it? From the way you're communicating in both your written communication, your spoken communication, mm -hmm. and also the image that you represent in the work, Correct. working place. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, for a lot of young people, especially post-COVID, <laughs> yeah. losing a lot of that, losing the communication, losing the presentation. Well, a lot of people st spend most of their time behind screens right now as well, right? So yeah. their level of communication, the frequency and quality of their communication is completely different to what it used to be maybe, what, 20 years ago. Yeah. And also, the communication response you get will tell you about the quality of your communication. Yeah essentially absolutely and, feedback. And, and exactly and what a lot of people say is yeah but that's you know i'm losing my identity and that's not me and it's not about that it's not about changing who you are it's about being clever and knowing how to yeah. communicate your intent when you're in a particular situation or context absolutely and what's going to be effective what's the most effective communication strategy for that particular environment that you are in correct and that isn't losing your identity that's mm -hmm. being appropriate correct and 
doing the right thing for yourself. It's, a, it's the same thing as dress as yeah. though you wish to be addressed. Yes. It's a very, very similar concept. Yeah, absolutely. And, and once you're in, speak how you like. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you have forged relationships with your colleagues, so on and so forth, or when you're out of that particular context, speak how you need to. Mm-hmm. But if you need to enter a profession, if you want to enter a profession, then you need to practice how to communicate within that profession. Vinny, <laughs> it's been a delight speaking to you. Thank you Thank so you much for your time. Thank you very much tips. for having me. Sorry and about your... my voice. <laughs> no, it's been fantastic. You've managed to um, speak for a while despite your sore throat. So Thank that's, you. That's, that's an art. Thank you. Thank you very much, Aisha.